Last week, I brought us into the month of April talking about hope fulfilled. Specifically, we are speaking about the hope of Israel, the one hope of the scriptures. Last week, we noted that the way they understood their hope and the details are a bit foreign to us as 21st century Americans. And therefore, we want to allow the scriptures to outline the hope for us. Matter of fact, for the past month or so, I have been preaching about standing upon the shoulders of giants, namely in regards to gospel preaching. For example, in my studies, I have been looking at the way the saints in scripture detailed the gospel, how they preached the gospel, men like Stephen, Peter, Paul, etc., those who find being, we find being talked about in the Acts of the Apostles. I'll say this. After spending time immersed in the way and about what the New Testament saints preached, we find some sure issues in what and how many contemporary preachers preach today. Soon enough, we will be beginning a sermon series here at Blue Point Bible Church called Say What? The Things Christians Say, which will take a look at how Christians approach many contemporary issues. And sadly, you will see that it's not standing upon the shoulders of giants in the faith, but rather leaning upon their own misunderstandings. All of that said, let's begin to take a look at our text for today. What we are going to do is begin by, begin what we're calling Holy Week, is standing upon the shoulders of Jesus and seeing how he fulfilled the hope of Israel, which we began talking about last week. Since it is Palm Sunday, it should not be much of a shock that we'll be looking at a New Testament text that applies to exactly that, a fulfilled Palm Sunday. So please begin turning with me to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, if you're using the newer Pew Bible, that is going to be on page 1047. Okay, we're going to begin at verse 28, so I apologize. That's going to be on page 1048. Beginning at verse 28. After he had said these things, he was going on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. Now, I have to stop right there because obviously we began with the word after, so we're wondering what happened before this, right? That should be a a question that we should ask ourselves. And if you look back a couple chapters here in Luke, you see that what Jesus was doing was detailing parables to his disciples and to the crowds around him. And he was namely detailing parables about the kingdom of God, the soon coming kingdom of God. I'd love to urge you this week to spend some time in those parables. And what I've done is included in the bulletin a uh, listing by Pastor Claire Chandler. We could thank his work and his studies for that. What we have is a listing of all of the New Testament parables and where to find them in Luke chapter 13, Matthew chapter 13, Luke chapter 11, Luke chapter 10, John chapter 10, and so forth. I'll also include these on our website. That way you can find them for further resources. You'll see that the kingdom of God that Jesus spoke about, the kingdom of God that we have in the midst of us that dwells in the hearts of his people, is a kingdom that is not of this world. It is in this world, but it is not of this world. It is meek, it is peaceable, it is loving, it is edifying, it leads to eternal life and life to the full. You see here as we continue in Luke chapter 19, verse 29, 
When he approached Bethpage and Bethany, and I love our Suffolk County humor, you know, not Bethpage in Nassau County here. We're talking about the Bethpage around the city of Jerusalem. When he approached Bethpage and Bethany near the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village ahead of you. There, as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one yet has sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it, just as he had told them, as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? They said, The Lord has need of it. They brought it to Jesus, and they threw their coats on the colt and put Jesus on it. So let's stop there for a moment. Because as I read this, I say, Well, that's not how situation would go with me. Imagine just, you know, Jesus told me to go and fetch a donkey, and when I see a donkey that belongs to someone else, I'm just going to untie the donkey and take it. You clearly see a divine occurrence happening here that this is not by accident. Nothing we're reading in the, in the detailing of Passion Week or Holy Week, the week that Jesus was led to the, crucifix, to the cross, is by accident. That's ultimately why this Good Friday, this coming Friday, we can talk about the crucifixion and call it Good Friday. Because we know that nothing that was done on that day was done by accident that Jesus Christ gave up his life because that was preordained. That was God's way of reaching into this world and bringing man to himself, giving us the invisible image of himself or giving us the image of his invisible self. God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus, he who saves his people. Wow. So we see this God-ordained situation happening here. And then we move into the first celebration of Palm Sunday. Continuing in verse 36. As he was going, they were spreading their coats on the road. As soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen. Shouting, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Amen. What you have here in verse 38 is a quote from Psalm chapter 118, verse 26 to be specific. And it's a psalm of victory. You see, we see, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. We're going to turn to Psalm chapter 118, and we're going to see that blessed are all who come in the name of the Lord. That is the blessing. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We're going to see that blessing here. We're also going to see the context of what was happening as Jesus was entering into Jerusalem on that donkey. What was this fulfilling? What hope was this fulfilling? Psalm 118, page 623. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. O let Israel say, his loving kindness is everlasting. O let the house of Aaron say, his his loving kindness is everlasting. O let those who fear the Lord say, his loving kindness is everlasting. From my distress I called upon the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me into a large place. The Lord is for me, I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore, I will look with satisfaction on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. 
It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All nations surrounding me, in the name of the Lord, I will surely cut them off. They surrounded me. Yes, they surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I will surely cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They were extinguished as a fire of thorns. In the name of the Lord, I will surely cut them off. You pushed me violently so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. The sound of joyful shouting and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I will not die but live and tell of the works of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely. He has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I shall enter through them. I shall give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous will enter through it. I shall give thanks to you, for you have answered me, and you have become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O Lord, do save, we beseech you. O Lord, we beseech you, do send prosperity. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. Thus, the Lord is God, and he has given us light. Bind the festival sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I give thanks to you. You are my God, I extol you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Wow. Amen. Notice the things that are mentioned here. Notice the things that are hoped for. It's a corporate desire to see his people restored, that the enemies of God's people would be put asunder and victory would be shouted. And that is what they saw in Jesus Christ that day as he entered in on that donkey into the city of Jerusalem. As all the praise is going on, here come the grumblers, right? I've seen this again and again. The adversary surely does not like to see God get praise and be and the saints be joyful and victorious and have knowledge and proclaim that victory. It's a beautiful thing to proclaim the victory we have in Jesus Christ. The Pharisees begin to tell Jesus to rebuke his disciples as we see here in verse 40 of Luke chapter 19. Taking us back to that text here. Luke chapter 19, verse uh, 39 through 40. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But notice notice Jesus' response. I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. This is actually a quote from the book of Habakkuk, the prophet Habakkuk. We talked about him a couple weeks ago in Acts chapter 13 standing upon the Apostle Paul's shoulders. Now here we see Jesus recites this Old Testament phrase, the stones will cry out. Now what does this mean? This is actually an allusion to war. That judgment was coming. These people knew their prophets. They knew what the mention of Habakkuk would bring. Habakkuk prophesied prior to the Babylonians coming in and destroying the city of Jerusalem. So now Jesus says this, next verse, When he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, 
but now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the day will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side. And they will level you to the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. This is Jesus prophesying the judgment we know. If you just know a little bit of history, you know about the Roman Jewish War in AD 70. You know that Jesus is prophesying judgment upon these Jews, these Pharisees, these leaders who are failing to see that he is the peace. He is the fulfillment of Psalm chapter 118. And you're going to see further here as we look to another Old Testament passage that he is the fulfillment of that man who would, that Messiah who would ride into the city on a donkey. Why that was so important. Remember, their hope was to see Jerusalem restored. As we highlighted last week, the resurrection of the dead, the hope of Israel, needed to be fulfilled in that generation. Otherwise, if this hope, if this Messiah did not fulfill everything he said he was going to come to do, to bring that national restoration, that he would bring the kingdom of God, if this was not Jesus doing this in this generation, and he did not establish every fulfillment of every old covenant promise and prophecy, then we surely have no hope to cling to 2,000 years removed, generations upon generations away. Remember early on at the temple, it was prophesied that Jesus was the consolation of Israel, the redemption of Jerusalem. Matter of fact, if you, you turn with me to a parallel text in Matthew chapter 21, or actually you don't have to turn there, Matthew chapter 21 Verses 1 through 11, you see that parallel text. And we read of this celebratory event and we read why it was going on. Here it says, This took place to fulfill, Matthew chapter 21, verse 4. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Zechariah. Say to your daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Matter of fact, I changed my mind. I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Zechariah chapter 9 want to take a look at this text and see what was being fulfilled through Jesus riding on a donkey into that city. Let's see what the text tells us was being fulfilled there. Zechariah chapter 9 is on the Pew Bible, the newer Pew Bible, page 945. Zechariah prophesied after the return of the Jews from Babylonian captivity. Zechariah called the people to account Desiring to see a revival in Israel. Desiring, you know, again, they, they, now they're being restored after that 70 years of Babylon. They see their temple. They want to begin to fix it. They want to, you know, restore it. They want to bring it back to its former glory and see the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God restored back to his people. This would only occur by a divine occurrence. And Zechariah longed for that. That Ark of the Covenant demonstrated that God was with them. God was pleased with them. God, he was demonstrating his presence in their midst. And again, we know it was only based upon their obedience to his law. So here's Zechariah chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. Let's start there. The, this is the burden of the Lord against the land of Hadrach, with Damascus as its resting place. For the eyes of men, especially all the tribes of Israel, are toward the Lord. And Hamath also, <clears throat> excuse me, which borders on it, Tyre and Sidon, though they are very wise, and Tyre built herself up a fortress and piled up silver-like dust. And gold like the mire of the streets. Behold, the Lord will dispossess her. 
and cast her whelp into the sea, and she will be consumed with fire. Ashkelon will see it and be afraid. Gaza, too, will writhe in great pain. And Ekron, for her expectation, has been confounded. Moreover, the king will perish from Gaza, and Ashkelon will not be inhabited. And a mongrel race will dwell in Ashdod, and I will cut off the pride of the Philistines, and I will remove their blood from their mouths and their detestable things from between their teeth. They, then they also will be a remnant for our God and will be like a clan in Judah and Ekron like a Jebusite. But I will camp around my house because of an army, because of him who passes by and returns, and no oppressor will pass over them anymore. For now I have seen with my eyes. <clears throat> Let's talk about that there. This is talking about a coming of the Lord. This is judgment on Israel's enemies. Remember, we, we showed that in Psalm chapter 118, that the hope is that blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, that it's going to be the Lord that is going to restore his people to their glory. He's going to do this by putting their enemies asunder. That would be the fulfillment. Their national hope was that their enemies would be put asunder. We know that that was also demonstrated through the law. We also know that was demonstrated through sin. Spiritual Egypt, Egypt and Sodom was that new, that Jerusalem that focused on the carnal thoughts of men, the carnal kingdoms of men, trusting in princes, trusting in their own riches, like Assyria and Nineveh and all of these, Nineveh in Assyria and you know, Babylon, trusting in their riches and their own devices and their own power and their own might, their own quote unquote peace. <clears throat> Coming of the Lord was revealed against them, a judgment of God was revealed against those enemies. Continuing here into verse 9, or would be against those enemies. And we know was brought against those enemies. Verse 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, the horse from Jerusalem, and the bow of war will be cut off, and he will speak peace to the nations. And his dominion will be from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I have set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to the stronghold. <clears throat> Excuse me, sorry about that. O prisoners who have the hope, this very day I am declaring to you that I will restore double to you. For I will bend Judah as a bow. I will fill the bow with Ephraim, and I will stir up your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece. And I will make you like the warrior's sword. And the Lord will appear over them. And his arrow will go forth like lightning. And the Lord God will blow the trumpet and will march in the storm winds of the south. The Lord of hosts will defend them, and they will devour and trample on the sling stones. And they will drink and be boisterous as with wine. And they will be filled with the sacrificial basin. Drenched like the corners of the altar, the Lord their God will save them in that day as the flock of his people. For they are the stones of a crown, sparkling in his land. For what comeliness and beauty will be theirs. Grain will make the, new, the young men flourish and new wine will with the virgins. Such a beautiful text. I know as Christians we love to highlight that Jesus is our king who has come. However, I often realize we lack the relevance of how this would have been understood by that original audience. The coming of a king was an anxious thing, brought anxiety with it. Judgment affects you know, uh, new leadership, new administration. Again, um, sort of how crazy things get here in America before, during, and after political season. I know we, we've all seen it, right? We're all still seeing many of the effects. And let's face it, we want to run our lives. We don't want a king. 
<clears throat> we don't want, especially a divine king, we don't want someone that wants our obedience, our submission, our service, our worship. A divine king really, really puts, that, uh, puts us at odds with wanting a king. You know, a, a local king or a local politician is one thing. Now you want me to have a divine king that knows everything about me and enters into my heart and knows my mind and my heart? Oh, no. You see, this is where our innate idolatry is revealed. The desire for each and every one of us to rule and set up our own little kingdoms, and ma- this manifests in some really wicked ways. We noticed that in our prayer this morning in talking about some of the things that are happening over there in the Middle East. Look at all the wicked ways that man's setting up his kingdoms. As we saw in Psalm 118, that's not how the kingdom of God would be revealed. This should always cause us to repent of that innate idolatry we have. How often we look to and for righteous earthly rulers, continually putting our trust in man rather than understanding and knowing the king and his kingdom wherein righteousness dwells. Also, we will note the Jews in that generation, matter of fact, even generations before that demonstrated a stubborn blindness to God as king. We see this in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 8. seems to be a a heritage thing within the people of God that we, we fail to look to the Lord as king and we're always looking to the earthly leaders to expect something of them that we know we'll never get. There's a message there. <laughs> how, how we look at things through our own lenses, our mental picture's gone awry and we end up missing the promise itself. We do that when we look to earthly leaders and earthly kingdoms. In theological terms, this is referred to as the veil of Moses, always keeping us looking to and bound up in earthly things. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious. Translators have noted that the coming of the king in this passage could also say, comes to you for your benefit. That God had come to us Because in all of our wandering, seeking satisfaction in carnal kings and kingdoms, carnal things, we were lost and dead, incapable of coming to him. If we learn one thing this Palm Sunday, the reality is that Jesus Christ is king and has come to reign in a kingdom that is beyond this world. And we who are of that kingdom and subject to him should rejoice greatly. Again, in Zechariah chapter 9, we saw that He will speak peace to the nations. His dominion will be from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. The Euphrates River to the ends of the earth should give us context into what Zechariah was looking at. However, we know the bigger reality, the true reality of what we have in Christ. And how this kingdom was manifest through Jesus Christ. Again, we see in Zechariah chapter 9, verses 16 and 17, that God would save his people, Jesus. He would save his people, be a shepherd to his people because they are the stones of a crown sparkling in his land. What comeliness and beauty will be theirs. You know, we, this is where the church really needs to come to the plate because the world doesn't look to the church and see beauty. The world doesn't look to the church and see God. The world doesn't look to the church and see these things because we need to come to terms with what the hope we have that has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ, and rather than pointing the world to other desires, other things, you know, we're talking about the resurrection, in talking about this fulfilled hope, we're saying that that hope that we hear many Christians talking about with a new body, obsession with a new reality somewhere else, is not the hope of Scripture. Hopefully we're making that clear this morning, 
Let God's enough be enough. This is what God has given us. This is beautiful and glorious and great and good. He gave us peace. He rules. He saved his people. He's our shepherd. His flock will shine when they know that this hope has been fulfilled in him. As I pondered and prepared this sermon in my mind, in my mind this morning, it continually wandered to the full fulfillment of what we are talking about this morning. The coming of his kingdom in its fullness. The hope of Israel completely fulfilled through Jesus Christ. Which I have understand to have been completely fulfilled, established in, consummated in AD 70. What did the fullness of Psalm 118 and Zechariah chapter 9 look like? The coming of the Lord brought judgment upon the enemies of God. Again, this was revealed by the natural adversaries of God seeing judgment. The Jews were you know, obstinate against Christ in that generation. The Gentiles became obstinate against Christ in that generation. We read about many, many of this in the book of Acts. The persecution that continues throughout the entire New Testament against those disciples and those apostles. The Jews were very obstinate. The Gentiles became obstinate. We've seen their kingdoms were frustrated in those events from A.D. 66 to A.D. 70. They were not successful in coming against the church. The saints, the church, the church of Jerusalem specifically, was gathered in Pella in the mountainous region because they listened to the word of the Lord. They escaped that judgment that we read Jesus crying about in Luke chapter 19. The saints listened to the wisdom of God and were shining like the stars, as Daniel put it at the fulfillment of the resurrection. Or here, as we see Zechariah is pointing to, jewels in a crown, shining like jewels in a crown. Or sparkling, sorry. Sparkling like jewels in a crown. I love what Proverbs says about this. Proverbs, as we discussed in our Saturday morning Bible study, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 24 says, The diligent will rule, but laziness leads to forced labor. The diligent will rule, but laziness will lead to forced labor. Well, I'll tell you what. That was surely witnessed by Christ saving his church. The diligent surely ruled from the the mountains of Pella. They were diligent in being alert and sober as they were called to in that generation. Knew what the will of the Lord was. They were children of light, as 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 speaks about. That they were not set in confusion and darkness. That they needed to know what the Lord was doing. They knew what the Lord was doing. They recognize that right here we see on Palm Sunday as they recognize his kingship and him fulfilling Zechariah chapter 9, Psalm 118, and many other verses all throughout Scripture in regards to the kingdom of God, the fulfilled hope of Israel. Christ's bold move of humbly demonstrating his kingdom and his his coming to us for our benefit as he rode that donkey into Jerusalem that day led to his crucifixion and death. How humbling. It also led to his coming as a lion of Judah in judgment against that corrupt generation. It would seem that Zechariah chapter 10 highlights the reality that they would have known that day for the Christians as they witnessed God's judgment in that generation. I want you to just listen to as I read through Zechariah chapter 10 verses 1 through 6. And also I'll highlight verse 12. It says, As rain from the Lord at the time of the spring rain, the Lord makes the storm clouds. And he will give them showers of rain, vegetation in the fields to each man. For the teraphim speak iniquity. The diviners see lying visions and tell false dreams. They comfort in vain. Therefore, the people wander like sheep. They are afflicted because there is no shepherd. Again, we see this in the world today. My anger is kindled against the shepherds, and I will punish the male goats. For the Lord, <coughs> excuse me, the Lord of hosts has visited his flock. The Lord of hosts, Jehovah Nisa. Lord of hosts has visited his flock. 
the Lord of Judah. He will make them like his majestic horse in battle. He's with his people. From them, he will, he will be the cornerstone. From them, the tent peg. From them, the bow of battle. From them, every ruler, all of them together. They will be as mighty men treading down the enemy in the mire of the streets in battle. And they will fight, for the Lord will be with them. And the riders on horses will be put to shame. I will strengthen the house of Judah, and I will save the house of Joseph. And I will bring them back, because I have compassion on them. And they will be as though I had not rejected them. For I, the Lord, their God, will answer them. I want you to notice a very corporate hope here. That's the hope of Israel. It was never an individualistic hope set on I me that our individualistic 21st century culture forces upon us again that comes with hellenism and and all of those philosophical perspectives that the human mind wants to focus on themselves rather than understand that our identity in the corporate realm israel understood that very clearly all because of their law and their obedience to god under law and how it was a very nationalistic identity we need to embrace that Because as the church, we have the renewed identity, the restored identity, the saved identity, the identity that we sparkle as a jewel in his crown. We, the people of God, restored through Jesus Christ. Verse 12. And I will strengthen them in the Lord, and in his name they will walk. That is our hope fulfilled. Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. I want to end with a quote from Octavius Winslow, a 19th century evangelical preacher, which highlights the joy we should know and leave here with today, knowing our king has come to us for our benefit. Notice the things that he says and the things that he highlights that are of importance in regards to a Christian's life. The religion of Christ is the religion of joy. There is every element of joy, deep, ecstatic, satisfying, sanctifying joy in the gospel of Christ. The believer in Jesus is essentially a happy man or woman. The child of God is from necessity a joyful man or woman. Sins are forgiven. Notice these things here. Sins are forgiven. Souls are justified. Persons are adopted. Trials become blessings. Conflicts become victories. Death is immortality. And the future of heaven is inconceivable, unthought of, and full of endless blessedness. With such a God and such a hope, Is the believer not? Ought he or she not to be joyful? Hmm, Amen. Let's end in prayer. Heavenly Father, we give you all the glory, Lord. We thank you for all that we have in you, Lord. We ask you to further convict us, Lord. Remind us of all that you have given to us that pertains to life and godliness, Lord. That we would truly believe that. We would truly cling to that, Lord. And thank you and appreciate all that you have given to us. That we would move missionally this week, Lord, as we move into what is traditionally called Holy Week, where we would come and remind ourselves to become continually your missional people, Lord, reminding people of all that you have done. Give us the opportunities this week, Lord, to share with our family and friends. Burden us with the opportunity, Lord, to share with our family and friends all the glorious riches that we have in you, Lord, all that you accomplished for our salvation this week, Lord. Um, And we thank you, wholeheartedly thank you, Lord, for all that we have. Thank you for your sacrifice, Lord. Thank you for calling us to be your people. Thank you for giving us the ability to be a saved people, sparkling in your sight, Lord, shining as the stars so that the world would see you, Lord. Equip us, build us up, further edify us. Thank you for the righteousness that you have set within us, Lord. Blessed be your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.